Welcome to the Parents Pod, the Arizona Baby and Toddler Podcast from First Things First. I'm Kay Valet. Today we're going to talk about stress and the big emotions that come with it. All parents feel stress, and so do young children, even babies. We'll talk about being a stress detective, how parents can recognize the difference between misbehavior and when a child is simply dealing with more stress than they can handle. We'll talk about how important it is for parents to regulate their own stress levels, and we'll distinguish between self-regulation and self-control. They're actually two different things, and understanding the difference can help you do better as a parent. Our guest is an expert on the subject of self-regulation. Dr. Susan Hopkins is the executive director of the Merit Center, an educational organization based in Canada that works to translate research and learning about self-regulation into practices that benefit children, parents, teachers, and schools. We recorded this conversation with Susan from her home in Canada. So in addition to her Canadian accent, you may hear a bit of digital static from time to time, but it won't get in the way of her very helpful information about this important topic. Welcome, Susan. So glad you could join me today. So I understand you work a lot with adults in early learning settings. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, we're working with adults in early learning settings, adults across the lifespan, really, and uh, focused on children. Our area of work is self-regulation. So that's understanding about the brain's response to stress and managing energy and tension and and its impact on behavior, learning, well-being, mood, you name it. So uh, we're working across Canada. We're centered here in Canada so definitely lots across Canada. But I mean, folks are asking me same questions about how do we deal with, you know, kids that are, are in toddlers and children that are struggling with self-regulation and how do we deal with our own levels of stress that are escalating. And, and it's really, it, the context is different. So if you go into a small community, um, their, their realities are very different from a big city. And yet at the core, there, there's some commonalities as well. So there's different types of stress, in other words. Uh, so different factors that might be contributing to a child or a family's stress factors. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think it's important to say from the start that stress is not a bad thing. You know, it gets a bad name. And, uh, you know, we often, all of us are talking about be feeling overstressed at, uh, at various times of the year. And so, so that's sort of a, a cultural understanding of what stress is. But when you really understand it from the science um, you know, a, a scientific perspective, uh, stress is really something that causes a, a, a response in the brain body. And it, it, I mean, it's how you, you learn. It's, it's, it's actually what gets you up in the morning. There's stress involved in, in, in it is part of, part of everyday life. What we're concerned about is excessive stress and the signs when it's too much. Um, and we see that, we see that in children. But what's common about them is that we as individuals have brains and bodies that um, that respond to the stressors in certain ways, and uh, and sometimes they can be too much, and we see the signs of that in behavior and learning and mood and you name it. So stress, when it gets too much, it can really impact and affect a child's development. Oh, absolutely. Think about a, uh, you know, even think about for yourself. Imagine a time that if you just think back to something recently when you had a day that you know you you responded in a way to a situation that you didn't like very much that that you weren't you know proud of not your best moment if you will so you know you got a little frustrated with somebody in a traffic line or you got um you know you got 
um, a little short with a loved one that you love, or, you know, sometimes many of us that are caregivers and working in the early years and with children and families, we have all this patience for everyone else. And then we go home to our own family and we don't, you know, we may be a little shorter, any of those things that are those moments that we're like, Oh, I wish I'd have done that better. If you actually have a look at it through the stress in the brain body, understanding that, that, you know, energy is a finite resource. And when we have a million things on the go all the time, it can reach that point when it's just too much. And it actually shifts our, our states, our brain body state. And, um, and it can have, have these responses that, again, we'll leave it, you know, in a child, you might see something that, that looks like they have a meltdown when it's time to put on, you know, their, their clothes at the end of the, of, the, of, the, of the day at the center. Or, you know, they seem to be just fine one moment and then they're kind of whacking their, their little friend the next moment. Or, you know, the massive no meltdown at the, at the, at the, you know, at the local store. And when you begin to look at it as that, you might think of that as be, as a behavior issue. So you might say, oh, he needs to learn and take responsibility and all of those sorts of things. Um, it's the sort of the self-control mindset that it's all about him, you know, knowing better and doing better. These are little, little ones, right? And they're, 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 when we see these signs, we know that it's a sign of excessive stress and it actually changes how the brain body works. And that can have if you have stressors over the over long extended periods of time that are more than you can manage, they can absolutely affect child development. Very interesting. So it sounds like self-regulation is one of those important cornerstones for it early in life as an infant toddler with your parent, your family, um, but leads to sort of these really good long-term outcomes too. Yeah, well, it's absolutely necessary. And, you know, we're talking about it as a very, in a very cognitive way about intentionally developing it. Um, but you, the brain body are wired for this. And every child, you know, sometimes people will say, well, you know, they'll think that children aren't ready to learn self-regulation. And that that's a misunderstanding that, of it, thinking about it as self-management. And so, you know, infants come into this world, the like human beings are, are, are unique and interesting and, and, and the, the complete dependence on um, the caregiver when you come into this, this world, mom, you know, and it, it begins in, 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 the, in utero, obviously, but with that's, that's what's the nervous system um, has these responses to stress and it's what's, it's what's calming. It's the calming, it's being able to respond to the stress and come back down and every little bit of new learning uh, causes a stress response, and then it's that calming about feeling feeling safe. So it absolutely is across the lifetime. Very interesting. So when babies get fussy, for example, it's not that they're acting out or behaving sort of against their parents necessarily. It's more that they're reacting to the stress. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a myth that we think of, you know, you can spoil a baby. It, uh, it truly is. It's, it's recognizing that, you know, you're going to teach them um, to respond in a certain way by not, not giving in to uh, like a fuss, for example, when instead, you know, parents, parents have that sort of thinking because, uh, um, you know, they, they really care about their kids and they want to do the right thing by their kids. And so they don't want to support what looks like naughty behavior. Um, or fussy behavior in, in, in an infant even. But when you actually look at it through, and I just imagine, I like to think about, imagine you had, a, you know, the Fitbit of the future, right? And you could, you know, we now put a Fitbit on and we can see heart rates elevated. That's a stress sign, right? Um, and uh, you, it, but we can, we can imagine we could see all the, the neurotransmitters, the, the, the signs of stress going on in a brain and body, and would recognize, you know, this isn't about choosing to be bad. It, it's 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 about it's it, it's about needing needing the support and having the stressors are more than you can manage 
And the fussiness is just a result of that. All that is, it's like the tip of the iceberg. It just tells us, hey, something's going on here and our child needs us to help them through. So is that different from self-control? Yeah, it is. And this confuses folks. If you Google right now, self-control, you're going to come up with a million different um, links that'll all lead, you know, some of them will be about media self-regulation. Some of them will be about, um, you know, kids and self-control, the marshmallow test, this sort of thing. And so that's, that in my, my perspective is one of the, the challenges because we're using the words like self-control and self-regulation interchangeably. And they're really two different things. So it's important to say that the definition I'm working from, we work with Stuart Shanker's work and Many others are working in this field, and it really comes from psychophysiology and um, understanding sort of the original definition was of stress, um, and that came from looking at metals and an airplane ring and wing, and if it had a little crack, you know, how much could it how much could it endure, right? And so um, it's really about understanding that a stress triggers a tension in the body. And, um, and causes a response in the body to energy, use of energy, to respond to and then recover from. So I'm not a neuroscientist. I'm, my, my degrees are all in the field of education. I like to take the, this and try to understand how to apply it. Um, but it has a huge difference because if you think the problems you're dealing with are self-control, it can be very frustrating as an early childhood educator or a parent, and you've tried timeouts, you've tried you know, accountability, you've tried, you know, strategies like checklists or tick charts or, um, you know, conversations, and you're trying, let's say you're trying to change a behavior, you've got a, a child that, um, I don't know, is, is having a meltdown every every morning, or is getting in trouble with his peers, or, um, or a parent, maybe you have a parent that's not coming, you know, on time every day when they're supposed to come to pick up the children from from the center and you've tried all of these strategies that are related to um you know positive reinforcement from me, and they don't work and, and we, we 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 get frustrated we're like why isn't that working and if you understand it as an issue of self-regulation you look at what's beneath like why wasn't self-control available to them so you know the, the child that's taking the meltdown in the store didn't decide to take the meltdown in the store so it's about maybe taking a step back as a parent and and not necessarily trying to address or deal with the behavior, especially if you've tried all those tactics and, and you're still, sort of still left frustrated, but rather than taking that step back and looking at what's what's stressing my kid yeah, out. Absolutely. And it's having, I had an elder from once tell me when I was working with her to use the, the language of soft eyes. So it's, it is about compassion um, and soft eyes, but it's also about recognizing that, you know, kids do, Ross Green talks about kids doing doing well when they can and when they can't what more is going on here and and you know as well we have to look at our own stress states in the in the in the in the situation you know we can escalate um escalate things or we can calm things down as well and like just think about a a moment when something dramatic happened in your life so um you know it could be uh, I don't know, somebody yells at you out of, for no reason at all. And you feel that, I used to call it the red brain kind of feeling, and that's the language we use. And it's almost like you can't think straight in that particular moment. The part of the brain that we need to be online to really be able to say, take accountability and do the right thing or make a better choice may actually not be online in a moment that our child's not doing well. So you know, parents will often ask, what, what do we do, right? So when we look at my child having a tantrum in the middle of the, you know, the large department store, what do I do? 
And uh, I mean, I think a big thing is just shifting this understanding to realize that, that he didn't choose to have that tantrum. It may look like he did, but it's, it's a response to excessive stress and it's his body, you know, dealing with it in any way it can to actually, you know, feel a little bit better. And that we, as parents, we soothe, we soothe. And so we, you know, we might scoop our kid up, take him out of there. We, we, you know, do the different things that we can to calm the, calm the stress response. Um, and then we deal with the accountability stuff later. It's not that we don't want those things, but in that particular moment, he's saying, world, this is more than I can handle in this particular moment. So we become stress detectives and try to figure out why and why now in the moment, but also overall, you know, how we can set our kids up um, for more better success. So as a parent in this stress detective role, how do I recognize the signs of, of stress coming on? That's a good question. Yeah, you know, and so we talk about the difference between recognizing stress behavior and misbehavior. And so, um, you know, misbehavior, and it does happen, right? Of course, there, there's times that things are intentionally done. They knew better. Um, the kid was in a fairly, you know, in a, in a, in a, relatively calm state and a good, you know, that, that we call it a blue brain state. But in terms of stress behavior, it's, it's, it's beginning to recognize when something doesn't, when, when it, when we're trying our, let's say our behavior management or our uh, parenting strategies to deal with a problem and it's not helping, we've tried our, our, you know, the, the different approaches to behavior, they don't seem to be helping that the behavior doesn't seem to make sense. Um, or beginning to really recognize some patterns. So, you know, children that are having tantrums every afternoon at two o'clock, well, that's a pretty good sign that there's probably excessive stress involved. And, and you know, it's been a long day. The little, children are, you know, they're, these are little people. And, uh, you know, whether they got a good night's sleep the night before, or ate well, the, the social demands of being around a lot of other children is although very positive, can also be very draining. So we, we look we look to try to understand the why and and why now. And it's, it's easy to look for the obvious stressors. So you may know that, you know, there's a, a parent separation going on or, um, you know, they're not the greatest nutrition or you're worried about the child's sleep or, or, you know, those would be some of the obvious ones that you look for. We dig really deep and we look... We, because some of them we can change and some we can't. We look for the hidden stressors. So a child with allergies, I mean, you might think, what's allergies have to do with behavior? Well, it has a lot to do with it, right? Because if you're struggling with allergies, um, that that those are stressors that, again, are demanding the same finite energy and leaving a little less in the tank for the child to do all the, the good things that you want them to do. Allergies is an example. Really strong emotions is another so not just negative ones, you know, disappointment might be feel excruciating to a child and they just need us to help them through. But equally so can excitement, positive, it's a positive emotion, but it can still be depleting on, on the energy system. So we begin to look for signs uh, of excessive stress, things that don't seem to make sense. And we try to look at it through this different lens. How can we help them through those strong emotions? So often people will hear about the work we do in self-reg or self-regulation and, um, and again, I went talked to you in the beginning about how there are these different definitions of self-regulation, which can confuse folks because different, there are programs out there. We're not, we don't do a program, but there are programs out there that, that focus on more like a self-control kind of idea or, or social emotional learning. And our approach is really quite different. So it's not that we are 
um, trying to, you know, do things like get children to name the emotions and these sorts of things, which are all, all good evidence-based strategies if the child is in that blue brain. So has, has that social brain and that ability to problem solve online, they're not in that over-the-top stress response, which is a limbic state, red brain. Um, so what do we do? We help them through the strong emotion. And so by that, like the example I gave from the, the large department store and your child, you know, is, is, is becoming very demanding or whatever, you're, you're walking through the checkout. And as a parent, you look at that and you might think that has to do with character. Um, when really it's not, it's an overstressed child with bright lights, you know, demanding their energy, noisy stores, the impulse to buy. These are all stressors on, on children. Um, and so we say no, we say no. And then we help them through the strong emotions. So I understand that's disappointing. It's not about any magic words. It's about soothing and helping them, um, we say, bring the blue brain back online. So that, which is just a metaphor, right? But it's that Mm -hmm. calming side of things. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, if sometimes uh, some of the most soothing things can be just the lowered voice, the parent keeping their own calm. Um, Hugs can be something for most children. Like there's individual differences. So for some children, that's not soothing. For most and many of us, that that hug, it can actually have an effect on the, it's calming to the central nervous system, right? So it's just as important for the parents to regulate their own stress levels and have that soft approach with their children as they're experiencing stress. Yeah, and I would even say having the soft eyes for themselves. So sometimes when, I mean, This is not about within individuals. So self-control would kind of look at it as all about the individual. Um, But self-regulation really looks at it in dyads within relationships. Uh, You know, we weren't, uh, Steve Porges talks about the fact that we weren't, you know, we didn't didn't evolve to be singletons. And so we we learned to self-regulate within the relationships, within the calm other, that, that, that other, the adult, um, you know, has the blue brain, if you will, to, to lend the calm to the child. And so we have to recognize our own states are huge in the mix. And look, that doesn't mean that uh, I would never want a parent or an early childhood educator or anyone to hear this and say, ah, oh, you know, start to feel bad about something they did or didn't do. I, I could tell you so many stories about when I didn't get this right. And, and, uh, and not just in the past, but even in the present, knowing as much as I know about the science, I still have red brain moments too. I'm a human being like all of us. But when we begin to recognize, okay, um, you know, my reaction in the store when my child had the meltdown or when my, you know, my daughter didn't do her chores as she was supposed to, or when the infant was fussy, 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 you know, it, that actually triggered a, a red brain response in me as well and sometimes just recognizing that can help and then then what do you do you you have to work on on you know you have to notice that sometimes that's all it takes to suddenly go ah and then you do whatever works for you um even if it's just taking a few moments a couple of breaths or um whatever it is that you can do to get yourself back in a state so that then you can help your child our state really has a huge impact on the children's state but equally they can co-regulate us. You know, a child can actually help help us to calm down in all sorts of ways as well. Yeah, it's absolutely about relationships. 
And so particularly in the work that we've done in early childhood, and I see this a lot with parents and families um, in in infancy, for example, we talk about reading the infant's cues from very early on. So understanding, um, you know, when they get fussy, what are those stress factors? So are they tired? Are they hungry? Is the diaper wet? Um, We need a diaper change, that kind of thing. And so, again, to your point, I hear that sort of intuitively from parents. Yeah. Um, and they begin to read the infant's cues and respond to them. So this idea of the fussy baby and and you can't spoil them. You need you know we can be responsive as parents. But the other the flip side to that of, of in the context of the relationship is that parents need to understand this too that they have their own stressors and it might be stressing them out that the that the baby's crying right. So taking that breath and taking a step back and saying, okay, calm down and let's, you know, let's see if we can calm my baby down. Yeah, absolutely. And the other piece to that, I mean, we sometimes I joke that we seem to really read cues and recognize them as stress responses and, and, you know, under two and over 80, you know, we miss (laughs) that it happens to all of us in between, right? Yeah. The other interesting factor to, to add to what you just said about a parent recognizing their stress response as well. Um, is that yes, that's part of it. And that reading the cues and you, once you begin to learn some of the other more and more cues, you can begin to see them changes in pupils, changes in, in you know, how the body is, is the, where the breath is happening. There's all sorts of other cues that you can look for uh, that are signs of excessive stress that go across the, the, the lifespan um, and all, all different ages. But the other piece I think that's really key to this is pro-social stress. And so I find this one lightens the load on parents when they, as well as recognizing that their state matters. So, okay, you learn all the facts about the child. They're not trying to drive you, you know, crazy that they're not trying with a fussy response and that you can recognize it's a cue. But you're having this massive stress response as well. And so it can, pro-social stress, for some of us, that is taking on the stress of others. Um, it can also be injustice. Um, so a sense of injustice can be really, really hard on us. I used to find it excruciating when my daughter was little and she would have leg pains. She would, she would have leg pains and no matter what I did, I couldn't soothe her. And I would feel my, my, my normally very patient parenting, kind of my voice would go high, all of these things would happen. And so much of it was when I reframed it through, through self-reg, I realized that wasn't me being a bad mom. You know, I still... I made it through, but just barely, you know, I did everything I had to do, but I had to force myself to really Uh stay there and be the right parent for her. And I used to feel quite guilty about that. And then when I understand a little more of the science, I recognize, no, it was excruciating to me to not be able to soothe my own child, right? And she was colicky as a baby. The first four months was the same. It was excruciating. And so that's a stressor on me. It doesn't mean that just noticing that takes it away, um, but it does help you reframe that you're a loving parent, and it's just that this is more than you can handle right now, or this is this is really pushing your stress system to the max. And so, you know, do you can you take respite? Do you have uh, you know a, a loving one that's offering you help, and that you can you know just take a few minutes to yourself? Is there is there is there are there are there little ways that you can work? on bringing your own response down with kind nice to yourself. You're human, right? And, and so that then you can be what, you're, what your child needs you to be in the moment. Very good. So it's all interconnected. The child's development, my role as their parent, and the family as a whole, we're all 
growing and learning together. We absolutely are. It's about health and well-being all around. Thank you. This is the Things You Can Do part of the Parents Pod, when we talk to you about how you can connect with programs and resources in your Arizona community. On the topic of stress and parenting, the First Things First website has a lot of great articles and entertaining videos you may want to check out. Our First Things blog is specifically for parents, and we also have an online parent kit with lots of information for parents of kids from birth to age five. Check it out at firstthingsfirst.org. And if you like the content, subscribe to our monthly parenting email newsletter. Knowing more about early childhood development can help you be a better parent for that little one you love so much. And there are all kinds of free programs available across Arizona, like parenting workshops and classes and home visiting programs, where you can work with a trained parent educator to help you better understand child development, how to deal with stress and challenging behaviors in a positive way, and just be the best parent you can be. You don't have to be perfect, and nobody is. But there are some simple, practical things you can learn to make parenting a little easier and more effective. Go to the First Things First website and find your local First Things First region to learn about the programs available near you. The Parents Pod is brought to you by First Things First. First Things First is committed to supporting the development and learning of Arizona's kids from birth to age five so that more children arrive at kindergarten healthy and ready to succeed. For more information, visit us online at firstthingsfirst.org.